Hello, my friends. You're listening to Repent and Believe podcast with Cynthia Smalls of Back to God Ministries. Welcome, my friends. Here we talk and teach the message of Jesus Christ, the only one who can claim the title of Savior of the world. We also discuss all things repentance and belief in Jesus Christ and how all these things tie into living a lifestyle where our deeds are manifested and fast and God so that we may be molded by the Father into vessels to be used for His glory. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's get started. Hey everyone, before we get started, I'd like to say thank you for tuning in. And if you enjoy my podcast, please share download, leave me a message or comment. Thanks guys. Hello everyone. This is Cynthia Smalls with Back to God Ministries. How's everyone doing today? I pray that all is well in your lives, that you are walking by faith and not by sight. You beloved are to never give up on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, my brothers and sisters. What we talking about today? Well, Christ Jesus said, You want this world? You will perish. Oh, beloved, listen and hear me well. We cannot love this satanic, empty, sinful world. And when we get called out of the body suit to expect to live for all of eternity in God's kingdom, but we have rejected the only one that can, that has paved the way for us to get there. So before we get into it, there are many Bible verses about life after death. Because in answering questions about life after death, we are left with only two sources to consult. Either we turn to human, excuse me, human experience, or we turn to the Word of God. If we turn to human experience, we find many guesses, many ideas, many theories, but no sure answers. That's because in the nature of the case, no human has a sure answer. The only people who have the answer are dead and they are of no use to us, right? Well, that leaves us with the word of God. In his word, we find ample, abundant answers. God, who knows the future, knows what happens when we die. And he hasn't left us to wander, wonder about it. 
The Bible is filled with information on life after death. So let us run through some of these Bible verses. Hebrews 9.27 Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So we see right off the rip, once we die, we face judgment. Now, depending on who did you choose, did you choose Jesus Christ or you chose the world? Well, that will determine what will happen to you on judgment day. And then we all love John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Amen. John 5.24. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word, and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Amen. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Amen. Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, Jesus was saying, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Amen. He tells us in Revelation 1.18, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Amen. So beloved, those of us in Christ Oh, according to Philippians 3, 20 to 21, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Amen. Oh, beloved, I can go on and on and on. So we see the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will perish for all of eternity. In the lake of fire. And those who have remained faithful and obedient to Jesus Christ. He said 
to them he will give eternal life and they will never ever perish. Amen. So, whew, the burden I carry from the Lord is that I don't want to see anyone going to hell only to be resurrected from hell and stand before the Lord in judgment where the books of their lives will be opened. And what has been recorded in those books will be judged by those things written in the books. And not only that, another book will be opened, the Lamb's Book of Life. And according to Revelation 20:15, if your name is not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you will be hurled into the lake that blazes with fire and brimstone. Oh, beloved, this is so not a game. So, anytime I hear about someone who has gained this whole world and died, according to the scriptures, they chose the world over Jesus Christ. So, according to scripture... They have given up their soul in exchange for the world. And right now, they are in hell. Yesterday, I'm watching a documentary about this famous uh, singing group from the actually from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and a little bit of the 90s. They were, they were a world-famous group. They, they had it all. They were at the top of the charts. They were handsome, rich, famous, young, they had the whole world as their oyster. They had it all. According to their fans, they had everything. Cars, houses, money, jewelry, furs, coats, shoes. They traveling. They had tours. I'm quite sure they had limos expensive cars, jet-setting around the world. They had everything, and people idolized them. But guess what? They sold their souls to the devil. For what? Fame, fortune, success. From the time they realized they had a gift to sing. 
rather than honoring the one who gave them this gift, they turned their backs on him and gave what God has given them to the world. They bowed the knee to Satan for his promise. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for his promise of all the kingdoms of the world. Whatever you want, you can have. Whatever you desire, you can have it. All you got to do is worship me. And they said, yes, give me the pen. And they signed their bloods. No, they signed their names in blood. And chose the things of the world. And so as, as I'm listening to it, I couldn't listen to all of it. I was just, it's, it's just something about, do you not know that you will die in your sins if you do not come to Christ Jesus? Now, as a young child, I didn't know any better. I was a fan of the music. This was during the disco age. So I didn't know anything. And to me, this was the best band in the land. Only to now come to Christ and really see through spiritual awakened eyes, this world has nothing for us. Oh, it may seem pleasing, enticing, that you can have it all. Okay. You want this world? Well, Jesus tells us through his word, you're gonna perish. Oh, beloved, listen. So, that truly, not only did it break my heart, but it's like this is... This is so, what's the word I'm looking for? It is a tragedy that you will give your soul for what? It's, it's like now on this side, we see very clearly that that's not what you want to do. You do not want to sell your soul to the devil to gain riches and and fortune, fame, celebrity. You don't want to do that. On the other side, it's like, why not? You got the gift to sing? Well, you go out there and you wow them and you make that money. Oh, beloved, it's a trap. It is deception. Listen, the Lord Jesus tells us in Mark 836. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Oh, beloved, we got to read this from verse 34 to put it all in context because it is truly sobering, frightening, and Believe it or not, joyful because Lord Jesus will acknowledge the righteous ones 
publicly declaring that we are his before his father. Oh, beloved, the assembly of the angels will be there when Christ Jesus acknowledged us as his own on judgment day before the father. So this is not good for those who choose the world, but it should keep us sober that this is what's on Jesus' heart. Because see, to me, it's like, I feel that sorrow. Like, why would you give up on me for what's in the world? Do you not know you have an enemy who cares nothing about you? He hates me and he hates my creation. And if he can get his hands on either one of you, he will deceive you only to be thrown in the lake of fire right along with him. So for me, this right here, it just, it keeps me grounded. Because although we may not be seeking after fame and fortune, but if we still choose the world, all that is in the world, you don't have to long to be a superstar in order to lose your soul because you went out there into the world. You chose the world and all of its ills over Jesus Christ. So look, starting in verse 34 of Mark 8, Jesus called the crowd together with his disciples and said to them, so we see he's speaking to both sinners and saints, right? He says, if anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must deny himself, set aside selfish interests, and take up his cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example in living, and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. Amen. For whoever wishes to save his life in this world will eventually lose it through death. But whoever loses his life in this world for my sake and the gospels will save it from the consequences of sin and separation from God. And then here we are, verse 36, right? For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world with all of its pleasures and forfeit his soul? Hmm? Verse 37, for what will a man give in exchange for his soul and eternal life in God's kingdom? And beloved, many have given up everything so that they can have the world. And what is this everything? 
Jesus, eternal life. They said no. That seemed too far away. And for the most part, they don't believe it no ways. They want the here and the now. Okay. Verse 38. Jesus went on to say, Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. For whoever is ashamed here and now of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Amen. And he says the same thing over there in Matthew 16, verses 24 to 27. Speaking of the gospel of Matthew, look at what he says in chapter 10, starting at verse 32. Therefore, the one who confesses and acknowledges me before men as Lord and Savior, affirming a state of oneness with me, that one, okay, beloved, that one I will also confess and acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. But the one who denies and rejects me before men, that one I will also deny and reject before my Father who is in heaven. Mm -hmm. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword, of division between belief and unbelief. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household when one believes and another does not. Verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Verse 38. And he who does not take up his cross expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example in living, and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me, is not worthy of me, Jesus says. And then in verse 39, just like he was saying up here in Mark chapter 8. When he said, where is it? Uh-huh. Verse, verse 36. No, actually, verse 34 
to verse 37. Because he, again, he's saying the same thing he said over there in Mark 8. We just read well over here in Matthew 10 down here in verse 37. No, 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 no. Verse 39. Whoever finds his life in this world will eventually lose it through death. And whoever loses his life in this world for my sake will find it. That is life with me for all of eternity. Amen. Oh, beloved. So, just for added measure, let's come down to verse 40. Where we at Matthew 10. Because let's read what the Lord says about the reward of service. He says in verse 40. To what? 42. He who receives and welcomes you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives and welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous, honorable man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives to the one and whoever gives to one of these little ones, these who are humble in rank or influence, even a cup of cold water to drink, because he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Amen. See, beloved, is something to it. When we follow, listen, and obey Jesus. When we love those who are called in his name to preach his good, great gospel. We will receive a prophet. And I'm talking about a true prophet. Not none of these false prophets running around here with the madness. We will receive a prophet's reward. Hallelujah. So, let's talk about what does it mean to gain the whole world but lose your soul. Yes, Holy Spirit. Listen up, beloved. We must evaluate and examine what Jesus is telling us about eternal life and perishing so that we don't do those things that will disqualify us. So, these scriptures is nothing to run away from. But we must know the full counsel of the Lord. Because I know we all want to 
only study and meditate on those scriptures about blessings, eternal life, the kingdom, the street filled with paved with gold, all of that. But we must also understand what will throw these bodies in hell awaiting the final judgment. So, what does it mean when Jesus says to gain the whole world but lose your soul? Now, now, we just finished reading out of Matthew 16, okay? Because in Matthew 16, the Lord asks, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul, right? We see that in verse 26. So, to gain the whole world is to receive all the world has to offer. Money, fame, pleasure, power, prestige, status, celebrity, you name it. To lose one's soul is to die without a right relationship with Christ and spend eternity in the lake of fire. That's what it means to lose your soul. It is to die without Christ Jesus being your Lord and Savior. And you will spend, according to Scripture, all of eternity in the lake, blazing with fire and burning sulfur, where, according to Revelation 14.9, the smoke of your torment will rise day and night, and there shall be no relief for you. No, beloved, listen, because in the context of his rhetorical question, the Lord was predicting his suffering and death and resurrection because we see this in verse 21 of Matthew 16. So verse 21 is saying, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on, and on the third day be raised. Amen. And not only that, when Peter resisted his teaching, the Lord rebuked him and said, You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Yes, the Lord said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Because as much as Peter loved the Lord, he was really zealous. Okay? And... He didn't want Jesus to go to the cross because in, yes, Holy Spirit, in Peter's humanity, 
He couldn't even imagine such a thing happening to the one he vowed to give his life for. He was like, uh-uh. No, you ain't. Now I'm paraphrasing. No, uh-uh. You ain't going to the cross. And so in his divinity, the Lord Jesus who was standing in his humanity, but in his divinity was speaking to Satan, get thee behind me. Mm-mm. Because the Christ knew that if Satan could stop him from going to the cross, then salvation would not be available to no one. And we will all be thrown into that lake of fire. So, mm-mm. No, Peter, uh-uh. Slow down. Slow your roll. Because the Lord Jesus then spoke to the crowd and reminded them that there was nothing worth more than one's own eternal soul. Rejecting Christ might mean temporary earthly gains, but it comes at the worst possible price. Listen, the Jewish people have been waiting for a promised one for many centuries. Most expected that this Messiah would be a military leader or a king like David or Solomon, Jesus' disciples recognized that he was the one whom the prophets had predicted. However, the Lord did not speak about conquering with an army or by taking over the government, but instead he taught that the Messiah would suffer and die at the hands of men. Amen. And just before he asks, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet fulfill, and yet forfeit their soul? Because he says that in order to truly follow him, people must be willing to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. Again, we saw that in Matthew 16, 24. So to take up one's cross is a reference to being condemned to die. Jesus' statement is symbolic of a total final commitment to him. In other words, one needs to be willing to give up everything in order to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And worldly suffering shouldn't be a deterrent. This is the context of Jesus' question. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, world yet forfeit 
their soul. Because, beloved, let us not be mistaken. If a person rejects Jesus and becomes the richest, most powerful person on earth, he has still made a poor decision. Because sooner or later, earthly things will fade away. And that person will have lost the only part of himself that lasts forever. That soul. Living in that body. Listen. The day of reckoning is coming. According to Matthew 16.27. For the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Oh, beloved, listen. There is nothing more valuable than a person's soul. And to trade that away is the epitome of foolishness. Oh, yes, it is. Because when a person chooses to embrace this evil, wicked, satanic world instead of heaven, he is forfeiting his soul. If a person rejects Christ Jesus for the sake of anything in this life, he will lose his soul. Think about Esau. Esau despised his birthright, choosing a bowl of stew instead of the blessing of the firstborn. Well, it went to Jacob. Judas sold the Savior for 30 pieces of silver. And we all know what happened to him. Demas, D-E-M-A-S, well, who was telling this? I believe it was Paul. I believe it was Paul. Well, he was saying that how Demas loved this present world and forsook the ministry. Mm -hmm. He went back out there into the world after preaching this good, great gospel. Well, he abandoned Jesus. He became apostate, no doubt, and went back out there into the world. All three men thought they were gaining something, but actually lost everything. Oh, beloved. You see, that is why... I carry this burden the Lord gave me. Cry aloud and spare not. Tell the people to repent or they will perish. Turn from your wicked, evil ways and come to Christ. For he is on his way back and his reward will be with him and he will give to everyone according to his deeds and according to the fruit of his doings. It truly breaks my heart 
when people reject the only one that could have saved them, the Lord Jesus Christ, and equally, and equally, if not more so, when children of God go rogue, just like the prodigal son who wanted his inheritance now before the proper time and then go out into the world and squander it due to riotous living, just living in complete disobedience to the Father, living a wanton lifestyle that is rife with debauchery, licentiousness, just having no morals at all, no godly values, steeped in sexual immorality and reverie and partying, just reckless abandonment to the one who commands for us to be holy because he's holy, just living it up, doing you, getting lit, as the young folks say, just out of control. So, let us talk about what did Jesus mean when he said, take up your cross and follow me. And we're going to touch on what entails a crucifixion. Because, beloved, it was horrid, humiliating, torturous, brutal, and an extremely slow, painful way to die. And this is what our Lord suffered on our behalf. So we don't go to a burning hell to be tortured while awaiting for the day that all in hell dread the great white throne judgment and that lake of fire. So don't tell me about someone saved, I'm always saved, that I can't continue to live in my vomit, disobey God, pay Jesus no mind after I've made a confession, air quotes, for him to what? come into this dark heart of mine, but never turning completely from sin. Like we are commanded to, oh, beloved, please don't get me started on that damnable doctrine of devils. Please don't, because we'll be here all day. So, what did the Lord Jesus mean? When he said to take up your cross and follow me. So again, we see in Matthew 16, 24. Let's read it again. Because Jesus told his disciples. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. And take up their cross and follow me. Amen. So. Let's begin with what Jesus didn't mean in this verse. Because many people interpret the cross to be taken up as some burden they must carry in their lives. Like what? A strained relationship? Some thankless job? Some physical illness? Whatever. 
and with self-pitying pride. They look at their difficulty and say, that's my cross I have to carry. Listen, such an idea is not what the Christ meant when he said, take up your cross and follow me. Listen, beloved, when a person carried a cross in Jesus' day, no one thought of it as this persistent annoyance or symbolic burden. To a person in the first century, the cross meant one thing and one thing only, death by crucifixion. To carry a cross was to face the most painful and humiliating means of death human beings could ever develop. Listen, real quick backstory, side note, whatever you want to call it. I may even want to call it going down a bunny trail, but we got to look at this history of crucifixion. And then we're going to talk about what we was talking about before. But listen, crucifixion was invented and used by other people groups, but it was perfected by the Romans as the ultimate execution by torture. Yeah, beloved, listen. The earliest historical record of crucifixion dates to around 519 BC when King Darius I of Persia crucified 3,000 of his political enemies in Babylon. Before the Persians, the Assyrians were known to impale people. Oh, beloved, listen. Crucifixion was meant to inflict the maximum amount of shame and torture upon the victim. Now, keep this in mind, beloved. This is what our Lord and Master endured and suffered through on our behalf. Listen to this. Roman crucifixions were carried out in public so that all who saw the horror. I told y'all, what is it? <clears throat> I want to say Isaiah 52, right? Where Isaiah was prophesying about what it will look like when Jesus went to the cross and died. <clears throat> he was saying that when the people saw Jesus on the cross they were horrified at what he was look at at what they were looking at why the bible says he looked unrecognizable as a human being so we can only surmise the torturous beating he endured so that the people were appalled when they looked at him. I can only imagine they must have been thinking, this 
can't be a man. It don't look like a man. Oh, beloved, listen. Okay. These Roman crucifixions, they were carried out in public so that all who saw the horror would be deterred from crossing the Roman government. Crucifixion was so horrible that it was reserved for only the worst offenders. And you mean tell me they thought Jesus was one of these worst offenders? Oh boy. So listen, the victim of crucifixion. Well, they were first severely scourged with that cat of nine tails. This was an ordeal that was life-threatening by itself. Then he was forced to carry the large wooden crossbeam to the site of the crucifixion. Bearing this load was not only extremely painful after the beating, but it added a measure of shame as the victim was carrying the instrument of his own torture and death. It was like digging one's own grave. So when the Lord is telling us to pick up our cross, he is saying, we are to leave everything behind and pick up our faith in him and follow him because following Jesus, you will be persecuted. You will be mocked. You will be condemned in the eyes of worldly, ungodly people. You will be laughed at. You will be cursed at. And in some extreme cases, you will be murdered all because of your faith in Christ Jesus. Well, just like he picked up his instrument of crucifixion and was obedient to the Father even unto death, well, in like manner. We follow Jesus just like that in spite of it all. Amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So, when the victim arrived at the place of crucifixion, he, he was stripped naked to further shame him. Again, beloved, keep in mind, this is what our Lord endured. So, all of that pagan imagery coming out of the Roman Catholic pagan church with Christ supposedly hanging on their cross with uh, some kind of fabric cloth, loins cloth. No. And first of all, that's not what he looked like at all. But he was naked. Beard being plucked from his face. Oh, beloved, please don't get me started. Because mm -mm. see, beloved, when you don't keep this in mind, how Jesus died for us. And you can still claim his name and go off in sin 
willy-nilly and then hide behind grace. Listen, my hand is the first to be raised. I did all of that, claiming his name. If you don't feel some kind of way, like I've said in times past on this same podcast, you are a cold piece of work. If this don't move you, oh, beloved, listen. Okay. <laughs> yes, okay, I'm going to say it. Not to say that our feelings is the gospel, like to say that if you don't feel some kind of way, then you're going straight to hell. I'm just saying as a personal observation. Like, things like this, I read about how my Christ suffered and died for me. Well, for me, it moves me to compassion and a willingness to obey the gospel. I'm just saying that for me. So please... Don't send me any emails about, well, you know, feelings is not the gospel. So what? I don't feel compassion about how Christ died for me. So what? I'm going to hell. Save it, folks. I love you, but save it. Okay, moving along. So anyway, okay, getting back. To this crucifixion. Well the person was stripped naked. To further shame him. Then. He would be forced. To stretch out his arms. On the cross beam. Where they were nailed. In place. The nails were. Hammered through the wrist. Not the palms. Which kept the nails. From pulling through the hand. Mm-hmm. The placement of the nails in the wrist also caused excruciating pain as the nails pressed on large nerves running to the hands. The cross beam would then be hoisted up and fastened to an upright piece that would normally remain standing between crucifixions. Wow. So you mean tell me that there will be certain beams just sticking up and when the victim comes with their cross beams, will that and them will be nailed to that beam stick. Oh. Okay. So after fastening the cross beam, well, the executioners would nail the victim's to the cross as well. Normally one foot on top of the other nailed through the middle and arch of each foot with the knees slightly bent. The primary purpose of the nails wasn't to make sure the person don't jump down off the cross but was to inflict pain because see this whole death process was to inflict as much pain as possible before the person died because the barbarics called roman soldiers oh they were going to make sure as an example that no one else crosses the roman government so you know it was all satanic.
panic. For Satan to put into the minds of these elder scribes and Pharisees to go to Rome to demand Jesus be crucified in this fashion because they knew just how horrendous and torturous crucifixion was. So what, stoning wasn't good enough? But you know what? This God is sovereign. All of this went down according to his plan. So, once the victim was fastened to the cross, all of his weight was supported by three nails, which would cause pain to shoot throughout the body. The victim's arms were stretched out in such a way as to cause cramping and paralysis in the chest muscles making it impossible to breathe unless some of the weight was borne by the feet in order to take a breath the victim had to push up with his feet in order to no in addition to enduring excruciating pain caused by the nail in his feet. The victim's raw back, because let us not forget, this victim has been scourged with that cat of nine tails. If you don't know what that is, it was a weapon of choice by the brutality of the mindset of these Roman soldiers. They would fashion as a handle these leather straps. And at the end of these straps were bits and pieces of like bone fragments, um, metal hooks, anything that will that when it is beaten upon the person it would hook into their flesh. And so as the whipping commenced, the hooks and the bone fragments will be constantly dug into the person's flesh, just ripping out skin and muscle and just shredding them, shredding them. So imagine them up on this wooden beam, constantly trying to hoist themselves up just so that they can breathe. Oh, beloved, their raw back, it would rub up against the rough upright beam of the cross. And after taking a breath in order to relieve some of the pain in his foot, well, feet, the victim would begin to slump down again. This action put more weight on his wrist and again rubbed his back, his raw back, up against the cross. However, the victim could not breathe in this lowered position. So, before, before long, the torturous process would begin again in order to breathe and to relieve some of the pain caused by the wrist nails the victim would have to put more weight on the nail in his feet and push up then in order to relieve some of the pain 
caused by the foot nail, he would have to put more weight on the, on the nails in his wrist and slump down. So either position, the torture was intense. Listen, beloved, crucifixion led to a slow, torturous death. Some victims lasted as long as four days on a cross. Death was ultimately by asphyxiation, and the victim lost the strength as the victim lost the strength to continue pushing up on his feet in order to take a breath. That's painful. Dying because you can't breathe and not to mention the intense pain. So what happened? In order to hasten death, the victim's legs were broken, which would prevent him from pushing up in order to breathe and thus asphyxiation would follow shortly. The Bible says that they didn't break Jesus' legs, though. Oh, beloved. Well, crucifixion was finally outlawed, outlawed by the Roman Emperor Constantine in the 4th century. Oh, beloved. It's a mess. It's a mess. So, getting back to what did Jesus mean? When he says, take up your cross and follow me, to carry a cross was to face, as we just read, was to face the most painful and humiliating means of death human beings could ever develop. 2,000 plus years later, Christians view the cross as a cherished symbol of atonement, forgiveness, grace, and love. But in Jesus' day, the cross represented represented it, represented a torturous death. Listen, the Romans forced convicted criminals to carry their own crosses to the place of crucifixion. Look at John 19, 17. And he went out, talking about our Lord bearing his own cross to the place called to the place called the place of a skull which in Aramaic, Aramaic is called Golgotha. Mm-hmm. Amen. Bearing a cross meant one was about to die. And that one would face ridicule and disgrace along the way. We talking about the Via Dolorosa. So therefore, Jesus command to take up your cross and follow me is a call to self-abasement and self-sacrifice. One must be willing to die in order to follow Jesus. Dying to self is an absolute surrender 
to God. Amen, beloved. After the Lord Jesus commanded cross-bearing, after Jesus commanded cross-bearing, he said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life, for me, will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? We are to bear suffering. As a follower of Jesus. Yes Holy Spirit. I remember. Because Jesus says. That. A student. Is not greater. Than his master. So if Christ. Suffered. You mean tell me. There shall be no suffering. And picking up our cross. In our lives. So what? Jesus just bared everything and we get to go happy-go-lucky lives? No, beloved. We must die to self. That's our crucifixion. Crucify, crucify, crucify that flesh. So, this call to take up our cross. Yeah, it's tough. But the reward is matchless. Nothing in this world is worth passing up eternal life. So wherever Jesus went, he drew the crowds. Their view of who the Messiah really was and what he would do was often distorted. They thought the Christ would immediately usher in the restored kingdom. What does Luke 19, 11 says? As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Amen. Listen, they believed he would Free them from the oppressive rule of their Roman occupiers. Some even hoped he would continue to provide free lunches for everyone. Oh boy. But his statement that following him requires taking up a cross made people think twice about their motivations and level of commitment. In Luke 9, 57 to 62, three people seemed willing to follow Jesus. When Jesus pressed them, however, their commitment was shown to be half-hearted at best. They failed to count the cost of following him, none were willing to take up their cross and crucify upon it their own interests. Because listen, beloved, he says in verse 62 of, of Luke 9, <clears throat> No one 
who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Amen. So, because you see, <clears throat> the Lord was setting down his requirement for discipleship. And it seemed to be that he was attempting to dissuade people from following him. Because, listen, following Jesus takes complete devotion and commitment. He, he done already said, you can't love anyone more than you love him. You got to put away all selfish ambitions. You can't long for this world and try to follow him. And many left him. Because see, Jesus had many other disciples beside his core 12. And so, many who were actually false converts and insincere, well, they left Jesus. Because it says in John 6, 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. But you see, I love what Peter's response was when Jesus turned to the twelve and, and was like, so you going to leave me too? Now I'm paraphrasing. Y'all go read to verse 69. Because Peter was like, and this is my sentiment exactly. Where are we going to go, Lord? Where? Because you are the only one that has the words of eternal life. So where are we going? I'm not going anywhere. So. God, our Father in heaven, he seeks true worshipers who will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. We see this in John 4, 23, when Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well. So listen, Jesus call to take up your cross and follow me serves to screen out those who are disingenuous, double-minded, double-minded, and those who have fake motives. He weaves out the counterfeiters. He weaves out by saying this, oh, yes, Holy Spirit. We see this all the time. Well, in my case, especially on Facebook. You have many who claim Jesus is their Lord and Savior. But the moment you start telling people they must repent, change their minds, they got to come out of that sin. They don't want to crucify nothing about their flesh. These are those who are dishonest about whom they are calling their Lord and Savior. Because the Christ is absolutely clear. Only, only if you willingly take up your cross, you may be called 
his disciple. Because listen, beloved, in closing, commitment to Christ means taking up your cross daily, giving up your hopes, dreams, possessions, and even your very life, if need be, for the cause of Christ. I'm going to say it again. Only if you willingly take up your cross may you be called his disciple. He tells us this in Luke 14, 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Amen. So listen, beloved. The reward is worth the price. The price. Remember, as Jesus called his disciples to take up your cross and follow me, he too bore a cross. He led the way. So, we are commanded in 1 John 2, 15-17 to not love the world. John says, do not love the world of sin that opposes God and his precepts, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust and sensual craving of the flesh, and the lust and longing of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, which is what pretentious confidence in one's resources or in the stability of earthly things, these do not come from the Father, but are from the world. The world is passing away and with it its lust, the shameful pursuits and ungodly longings, but the one who does the will of God and carries out his purposes lives forever. Because listen, beloved, and then I'm going to let you go. You see, John is making a point. Choose your love. Either the world or the Father. But you can't have both. You can't have both. Listen, yielding to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is to maintain love for the world. Mm -hmm. Because many have pointed out how the three aspects of temptation listed here parallel the way that Satan tempted Eve. She saw... That the forbidden fruit was good for food. We see this in Genesis 3, 6. Which was an appeal to the lust of the flesh. She saw that it was a delight to the eyes. This appealed to the lust of the eyes. She also saw that the tree was desirable to make one wise. This appealed to the boastful pride of life. And we see this exact same pattern happening in Satan's temptation of Jesus. Over there in Luke 4 verses 1 
through 12, Satan urged our Lord to turn the stones into bread, which represents what? The lust of the flesh. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world offering to give them to him, which is what? The lust of the eyes. He encouraged him to jump off the pinnacle of the temple, which could have been a source of pride in this miraculous accomplishment. So, John's three aspects of when he said all that is in the world, because look, number one, real quick, to yield to the lust of the flesh is not to love the Father, but the world. Because see, lust refers to a strong desire or impulse. And then we see number two, right? Yielding to the lust of the eyes is not to love the Father, but to actually love the world. And this term points to the sinful desires of greed and covetousness. To want that which you do not have, but which others may have. It also refers to the desires that stem from false superficial values. Oh, beloved. Okay, I'm not going to because it's, it's just so much I got to say about that. But number three, to yield to the boastful pride of life. Is not to love the Father, but the world. While the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes refer to the desire to have what you do not have, well, the boastful pride of life refers to sinful pride over what you do have. It is the desire to be better than others so that you can glory in yourself and in your accomplishments. Oh, beloved, listen. We are commanded not to love this world because when we choose to maintain our love for the world, well, the love of God, our Father, is not in us. Because, see, worldly people wallow in these things, but God's children fight them continually. So, how do we maintain our love for the Father? Well, we obey the Father with our eyes on eternity. That's what it means to maintain our love for Him. Amen. Glory to the Lamb of God and the Father of lights. Oh, Heavenly Father, we give you honor and reverence this day. Hallowed be thy holy, righteous name. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you that you saw fit to smite our Lord and Savior 
so that he can pay our penalty for the wrongdoing that we caused. We transgressed against your holy standards. Thank you for forgiveness. And so, now that we are in Christ, to the glory of your name, we must no longer choose this world. Lord Jesus says in Matthew 6, starting in verse 24 to 34, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, which is what? The God of money, possessions, fame, status, or whatever is valued more than the Lord. Oh, Father, amen. And sadly, many have run after this world, chasing all what the pagans chase after. They claim that they want this fame, fortune, and celebrity to be able to take care of their families, have money in the bank, and be a success. But the Christ gives us the cure for this anxiety about our lives. He says in verse 24, no, verse 25 of Matthew 6, Therefore, I tell you, stop being worried or anxious, perpetually uneasy, distracted about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body as to what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow seed nor reap the harvest nor gather the crops into barns and yet your heavenly father, glory be to God, and yet your heavenly father keeps feeding them. Are you not worth more than they? And you, no, and who of you by worrying, can add one hour to the length of his life. And why are you worried about clothes? See how the lilies and wildflowers of the field grow? They do not labor, nor do they spin wool to make clothing. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory and splendor, dressed himself like one of these. But if God, verse 30, so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive and green today and tomorrow is cut and thrown as fuel into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry 
or be anxious, perpetually uneasy, distracted, saying, what are we going to eat? Or what are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear for the pagans, Gentiles, eagerly seek all these things, but do not worry. For your heavenly father knows that you need them. But first, and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God, and all these things will be given to you also. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. So, Father, the Christ is giving us the key to success. And it is not indulging in this world. But when we, because if the whole reasoning behind chasing after the world, making sure you have the job, the status, the money, the clout, is so that you can have food and drink and clothing and shelter. If you are turning your back on Jesus because you are distracted and worried about your life. He's telling us, no, you got your focus on the wrong thing. Put your focus on the kingdom of righteousness. Strive after making sure you are in right standing with the Father who has the power to throw both body and soul in hell. Don't worry about your life. Seek after what is righteous and do that. That's the primary focus because don't worry about tomorrow. Oh, Father, he's telling us don't worry about your future. Namely, we don't know if we are going to be living in the next second. Because Jesus is saying tomorrow got its own problems. Right, Holy Spirit. So why are you rushing to tomorrow's problem? You can't even deal with today's problem. Problems. Oh, Father, thank you that we have your word. That we don't have to be so eagerly chasing after what the world offers only to end up in a burning hell. Why would we want to give up our souls just for what? What the world has to offer? Who is ran by Satan? Whose motive is to pull us from Christ so that we can end up in the lake of fire with him? Absolutely not. Oh, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for wisdom. Thank you that in Christ we have your word. That this new regenerated heart 
that is now moldable and teachable seeks the goodness of the Lord. Those things that are right in your sight. We want to do those things. So what if we are not at the top of the charts? So what if no one asks for our autograph? So what that no one is clamoring to take our picture and splash it across magazines around the world? So what? We are content where we are. So if it's on a shoestring budget, well, we ask for wisdom to steward over the shoestring budget. If we are living somewhere in the middle, glory be to God. Wherever we find our station in life, may we be content. Therefore, we won't be tempted by our adversary to bow down to him to get crumbs. Because that's what it is. Compared to eternity in the kingdom, it's crumbs. It is crumbs what this world has to offer. Bless your holy name, Father. I give you honor and thanks. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Glory be to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All right, beloved. That was good. That was good. It was good and it's sobering at the same time. Listen, this world has nothing for you, but Christ has everything for you. Amen. Amen. And Lord willing... Until next time, I shall be speaking to you all soon. Bless the Lord. Thank you guys for tuning in. I truly appreciate all your support. Until next time, I'll be talking to y'all soon. Bye.